Right on. Okay. Well, that's pretty much it. Um, welcome to the show, man. This is this is all there is to it. Uh, we're just gonna talk about what's going on. How are you today? Um, not too bad, thanks. Um, yeah. Just Monday. got off work, you did, huh? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is Monday. Um, fortunately. Uh, I can. I have engineered life such that Mondays are my excluded day, and I don't have to go to work. <laughs> so, you know, if that's, you can, uh, that's the real trick, isn't it? Yeah, if you can pick a day to not go to work, just like you know, be anything you want to be, unless you can be Batman, then always be Batman. So, if you can always have Monday off of work, take Monday off of work. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but how was the day, man? It was okay. Um. Yeah. Um. It was. It started out as I had no idea what I'd be doing. And then a couple of things reminded me that, yes, I definitely have things that I need to get done. So, uh, um, you know, it's, uh, I work, I do uh, IT desktop support for a small HBCU in Raleigh, North Carolina. Oh, wow. And, Fantastic. Uh, yeah. So uh, it is, it's, we're in a slow period right now. Um, we typically get a big rush uh, with the start of the uh, semesters. Fall semester is uh, the biggest, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, so now we're about halfway through the semester and it's it's kind of quiet, but um, we did just uh, bring on a, a, a significant person in a new role in a significant role. So I uh, had to get some hardware spun up for them. Um, and uh I mean, that's what it is. It's, you know, it, what, whatever, whatever's, uh, whatever the, we're faced with on the ticket board on any given day. Yeah. Um, I have, uh, I've done that work for a, um, for a, uh, large, uh, Arkansas based, uh, retailer that wasn't founded by Sam Walton. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, they, uh, they have their corporate offices in downtown Little Rock and, uh, I was, um, second floor is it, uh, and, uh, like everything it, and, uh, we were desktop support to level two. And, um, I was one of two, uh, Mac technicians for the entire company. Uh, and we supported, um, the advertising divisions all over the country remotely for the most part, um, using like remote desktop and, and just answering questions over the phone. Uh, but yeah, we, we kept, we kept all the things running. It was pretty cool. I had data center access, which was really neat um, because the data center was pretty awesome. So like a, like a VMware environment or like, like a physical data center? Oh, it was a physical data center. So we had, we had actual servers on hand at that point. It was, uh, this was like 2008. So those things were just becoming a thing. Um, but yeah. And then uh, the, there was an, an actual mainframe because the, the company had, all of that stuff legacy built. So they just kept it going, uh, which is uh, very cool. <laughs> a modern, a modern IBM mainframe is something else. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I can totally, uh, I can totally get on board with that. It's um, uh, that. And then, you know, in several other capacities at many different jobs being the guy, of course, now with the fruit stand, um, there's a tighter focus on what I do every day. Okay. Gotcha. But yeah, I've done um, uh, two jobs ago. The the whole inventory tracking uh, system was an IBM AS four hundred. That was um, it. Yeah. Uh, last last job was um, was corporate headquarters, and so all of the servers were in our basically like I could I could turn around at my desk and I could be looking at the data center. So um, right, <laughs> yeah. which is kind of um, cool. Kind of cool. Yeah. 
But uh, basically, that's kind of what I've been doing now for uh, as long as I've been a professional in some way, shape, or form as right, yeah. as PC support. So, uh, I uh, uh, about oh, let's see, I'm in my twenty well twenty second year. Uh, if you count right. the work study program that started this uh, interesting journey, I went on. Uh, right. Yeah, I did a. I built a CAD lab uh, for the theater department at UCA, and um, that was that was my work study for the theater department that semester. And then I parlayed that into ta-da, where we are today. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did work study. I did uh, you know um, lab assistant. Computer lab assistant work study. Um, I went to Villanova for my undergrad uh, in just outside of Philadelphia, about yeah. about thirty minutes away from Philadelphia. Uh, and uh, so I did lab assistant plenty there, uh, and that's pretty much what kicked it off for me. So yeah. um, well, and that uh, you know, not to be flippant about it, but that is the way, dear listener. Uh, if you have an interest, is that's how you get experience without getting a job. You do the things at school. <laughs> You make it part of your extracurricular and you get good uh, recommendations from your advisors and professors and so on and so forth. And that's right. Even if I you, find myself, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, I was going to say, go ahead. Myself, I find myself on the other side of that coin because now we have work study students working for us. Mm -hmm. And so we have to instill upon them that, you know what, you have to treat this like a real job. Like yep. you have to show up on time. If you're not going to come to work, you have to tell us because you're not going to just get an attitude from employers out there that are just, yeah, you know what, you can show up whenever you want. If you don't feel like coming to work, you don't have to. It's all big. Yeah, it's all big deal. Right. You exactly. Know. That's not how any of this works. Correct. That is not how. We, yes, that is that is 100 percent correct. So we get some that think that it's just a. They show up, they sit outside the office, they make an ID for a student every once in a while, and they get to punch a clock. And it's like, no, that's not exactly what we want. Um, Nor so, is that the expectation you should have for the real world version of this work, you know? Correct. And, yeah. and some of them are, you know, we, we know that some of them are not, you know, they're not going to be looking for this kind of work when they get out into the real right. world. But it doesn't matter. It's you're, you're cultivating, a, you know, how you carry yourself professionally and... Yeah, it, it becomes matter. a habit. Yes, exactly. It's like anything else you do on a regular, it can become a good or poor habit. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, you're absolutely right. It's, I mean, that's the part of it. That's why it's called a work study. Um, you are, you're studying the work uh, also. And, um, you know, it's part of your financial aid obligation. Um, I enjoyed mine. I don't know. Uh, most of it was in the theater department. So it was either, building sets or like I said, the CAD lab. So it was actually quite a lot of fun. Um, and so I couldn't complain for sure. So you mentioned Philadelphia is uh, that's where you got started. Is that where you grew up? Uh, no, I actually, I grew up in Northern New Jersey. Um, New Jersey. Hey, all right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> right on. Um, uh, no, I went to, uh, I went to Villanova for my undergrad years. Uh, so um, I guess it would just came down to, it was one of the schools that I looked at. Mm -hmm. And really, uh, you know, I liked what it had to offer. Also, at the same time, <laughs> I was thinking that I was going to follow in my dad's footsteps by joining the Navy. Oh, yeah. So I was, I was looking at Navy ROTC, uh, which uh, I learned very quickly was not for me. Uh, learned that in about forty-eight hours that uh, yeah. uh, that <laughs> company was not for me. And 
that being said, I still enjoyed the school and wound up figuring out how to make it work to stay there. And uh, so um, that's where I did my undergrad and then came back to New Jersey, spent uh, from 2000 through, uh, from 2000 to 2015, I stayed back in New Jersey. I uh, was a middle school school teacher for eight years at a Catholic elementary school. Oh, wow. Um, uh, yes, my mom taught there and uh, they needed a computer teacher, so uh, I needed a job. Uh, I had never taught school before, did had zero design whatsoever on teaching, but uh, got thrown into the deep end and uh, taught K-8 to computer technology classes um, for five years. And then middle school math and science for three years because the middle school math teacher had retired. And again, it was a situation where they needed somebody and Fortunately for a private school, you know, since I had not pursued an education degree, I didn't have a teaching certificate. So uh, I basically uh, parlayed my technology STEM background and experience into being able to teach math. So there you go. Uh, that, there you go. That's how it, that's how it gets done too. You know, it isn't. It is never really about what you're taught. It's about what you learn, <clears throat> and. Uh, um, you know, you can, uh, like you said, parlay your skills into areas where you might not have anticipated or nor, um, you know, as I've mentioned several times, I went to school for theater. That is not what I do for a job, <laughs> you know, uh, and nor did I finish school. Uh, I didn't finish college, but um, but, you know, all the same, uh, the experience is what what gets you there. And, um, you know, stick to it. This is how you get the experience. Right. And. And that's interesting that how you compare the, the concept of somebody who has a long history of practical experience versus somebody who has an academic background, but maybe not necessarily the long history of the experience. Because then when it comes time to pursue high level jobs, you know, director level jobs, C level execs and things like that, then it becomes, well, you know, what, what do you have to offer? You know, yes, you might have a piece of paper, but how do you, do you have any practical experience and what kind of practical right. experience you have? Exactly. Um, and, you know, you put two people side by side and somebody who may have a lot of, you know, very pretty credentials may not have any managerial experience. And they may say, well, I'm sorry, you know, we have to go with the person with the, with the boots on the ground. Exactly. I was going to say that. I mean, you took the words right out of the boots on the ground, man. <laughs> Uh, because it's, I mean, it's an apt, uh, it's an apt phrase for this and I have, you know, relatable personal experience. Um, uh, I, uh, I spent a, a, a few years, uh, at a very enjoyable job, uh, working for Arkansas's PBS affiliate statewide. We, they ran, they run a network of TV rebroadcasters and cover the entire state. So it's called AETN, the Arkansas education, educational telecommunications network now, um, but uh, uh, basically, um, the street that the building is on, uh, the, the facility is at the University of Central Arkansas on that campus. Uh, but the street that runs behind that leads to the parking lot is Sesame Street. Uh, so I literally worked at Sesame Street, uh, which is just great. And it, and it, and it is the official, you know, uh, Sesame Street street sign. Sorry. Yeah, right. which is just great. And uh, but, you know, the the job requirements included a four year degree just because, you know, four year bachelors, not anything specific to the role. 
but you know that that uh, basically that gatekeep that um, folks who don't have one wouldn't apply, I guess. Uh, but I was like, oh, I can, I can, you know, if I get an interview, I can talk this up. And uh, that was it. They they contacted whoever had set the the recs and said, you know, they asked for an exemption for experience over degree, and ta-da, I got the job. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, but that's, that's that thing. I mean, that's, that's gotta be a, that's gotta be a, uh, you know, kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity, I think. Oh yeah. And the, the project was fascinating. It was to uh, develop a catalog, a process and cataloging system for digitizing the aging uh, physical media, you know, like the one inch and the half inch and uh, all the older tape formats that were deteriorating, deteriorating on the shelf because that's what tape does. Um, right. And, uh, you know, how do we get that into digital format without, you know, because some of that stuff may only have one more pass. And so obviously you can't you can't tinker at that level. Um, but it was great because, you know, if you have a, if you have a love for retro tech, especially like, you know, stuff that still works and could still be used like, you know, there were tons of beta machines. Uh, because, you know, TV ran on beta uh, even after VHS won the home war. Um, and so there was just all this really great, you know, past television equipment that I got to play with and, you know, tie it into modern equipment and how does that work. And um, it was also during the digital transition. So I got to learn about a lot about how to uh, caption um, digital uh, files for digital broadcast. Um, that was one thing I got to do. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, now these days I watch everything with captions on because it, it uh, you know, it focuses the ADHD. <laughs> yes, I, I definitely can sympathize. I pretty much have them on all the time because only because you know if you were, if I'm not looking at the screen, there I may miss something, and um, it's off. It's it, if if I'm watching something for the first time, like a new episode of anything, chances are I'm I'm focused on it. But if it's gone in the background, then I probably am looking at it while I'm looking at my phone or I'm looking at something else. And if I am not focused on the screen, I will miss what is being said. So absolutely. Well, I uh, I caught an Easter egg, a personal Easter egg, by having captions on just at a an incidental discovery re rewatch that that uh, you know it just started like I think I watched the Cage or something and and Discovery came up next, and uh, right. so I was like okay fine, um, and uh, but there was a PA announcement on on the ship that was uh, Cadet Decker to uh, the the um, oh the ready room and I was like the who to the what now. <laughs> <laughs> yes i saw your tweet about that yeah i was um, like well you know i mean uh it had to be matt right it's totally it's totally matt well, of course, yeah. Yeah. but i mean you know after all they are your you know great 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 grandchildren after that's all, right my so. progeny that's right <laughs> yeah i actually watched um so speaking of of matt decker i watched doomsday machine for the very first time um when uh uh, maybe about a week or so ago. Oh, I wow. Looking through the, through all the episodes of ones that I had just never seen before. You know, it was never on, out of New York, it was Channel 11, WPIX was the uh, was the affiliate. Um, it was the forebearer to WB, the forebearer to CW. Oh, uh, yeah, one of those independent was, stations that turned into uh, yeah. a new tele, a new network, right? right. Oh, we had two right. of them. It, yeah. it was WP, WB and UPN, and then the two of them combined to form the CW. Yeah. Um, but 
um, yeah, it just, it never came up. And I mean, I've got my, probably like my top 10 TOS episodes and I just never watched Doomsday Machine, at least all the way through. I mean, I may have caught a, a clip of it here and there. Well, it's, at these days it's hard. It. Did I watch the episode or did I see the meme, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, it's like that Mandela memory. Yes, exactly. And, uh, and with Doomsday Machine and, and clips of deck of Commodore Decker, it's definitely, you know, you definitely probably, I might, I probably saw the meme before I saw the episode and the remastering that they did for the Doomsday Machine in the episode was just fantastic. I thought yeah. they did a really good yeah. What'd you um, think of the episode overall? Overall, I mean, I thought Matt Decker was a jerk. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm glad that, <laughs> I'm, I'm not glad that he died. I'm just glad that he made the decision to sacrifice himself. He toned, he like, toned, yeah. yeah. Like this guy, like, like Kirk came and saved you and now you're gonna pull a rank and now you're gonna take everybody down because you're, you're having an Ahab moment and, you know, all you care about is is firing on this thing futilely until until the Enterprise blows up. And, yeah, I'm I'm glad that you made the decision to to uh, to be a martyr. So, well, and um, then uh, you kind of have a mirror of that, you know, uh, in Wrath of Khan, uh, where Kirk and Khan are kind of having their Ahab moments, um, you know, yes. and, and who's what what length are you willing to go to to win, you know? Um, right. And, that, and, and Matt was willing to go all the way. Uh, and it's very tragic. You know, I mean, you could you. Well, I can because, you know, I mean, he's my guy. Uh, but you right. can imagine um, uh, who he was before this broke him. Right. I, you can imagine um, a capable and and I mean, you don't get to be Commodore for nothing. Uh, so Correct. you can imagine a just, capable commander. Yes. And then, and then yeah. you know, you make this huge mistake out of the very best effort to save the people you love. That's 400 odd. That's going to break your psyche. You know, uh, it, it's that's really going to set you. That, hard that, that a lot of people, I think, yeah. I mean, he, I don't think you could he, fathom he, it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so, yeah. <laughs> For, for having been the one that survived whenever the rest of his crew died. Exactly. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, and um, so, you know, um, it is one of the, it is one of the episodes of the original series that gets, that never gets skipped on the rewatch. Now there are a few um, of the less entertaining, more problematic episodes of TOS that, you know, I've seen them enough these days that it's okay to skip. Um, you know, right. like you don't have to rewatch Code of Honor. It, you've seen it once and it's okay. You know, uh, you, you, I, I, I don't ever tell someone to skip those episodes because you need the context, but then you get to decide, do you rewatch them? Um, that's right. up to you. Uh, but yeah, you got to see where Trek made mistakes. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I mean, it, it, it has not stopped making mistakes and it continue to make mistakes. And I'm sure, you know, we we have more Trek now. One of the things I, I was going to come to the table with tonight was to say it, what a time it is right now to be a nerd. Mm -hmm. um, we have more science fiction that we are about to get. You know, we have in the last in the last three years, and we are about to get. Um, you know, we've got another season of Picard, and we've got another season of Disco, and we've got you know, we've got Lower Decks, and we've got Prod Prodigy. Prodigy. And uh, more Picard, 
and yeah. Um, so there is no doubt that there's going to be mistakes that are made, but oh, and then then change new worlds. I mean, oh which, gosh, yeah. What is it? Five shows in production right now, yeah. and that that is the most trek that's ever trekked. You know, yes. The most we ever got before were two two shows that overlapped for like three seasons each, when TNG and DS9, and then DS9 and Voyager overlapped. Um, and right. all through that, you know, DS9 was the literal middle child, uh, redheaded, overlooked middle stepchild. Yes. Um, <laughs> thankfully, because uh, good. I mean, could you imagine the tragedy if uh, Berman and Braga were actually paying attention to what Bear was doing? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. I, oh, I think. Um, yeah, I just think I, it's I a hate to think that, um, that that Michael Pillar didn't. You know, we we lost him uh, entirely too soon, and. Oh, yeah. uh, yeah. And, and what he would have contributed to Voyager. I mean, Voyager was already good to begin with, but it would have been, it would have been even better. I think. Uh, every time I rewatch Voyager, um, I enjoy it more and more, and I also lament it a little more each time for what it, the potential it had that it didn't realize. Um, right. But, you know, twenty five years or whatever it is odd now that we're on from it that we have. It's what we have. And it um, it has given us uh, the return of seven of nine for Picard, you know, and one thing that kind of that kind of touched on myself while you were while you were outlining all those shows, um, things like Picard, things like Prodigy um, and uh, to some extent, even Discovery uh, and especially Lower Decks in its own special way have brought about a family reunion um, with the, you know, with the, the friends that we only have a very limited amount of time left with, right? right. You know, I'm not going to, this isn't a downer cast, but the reality is Sir Pat is on the twilight side of things. And the more that he, the more that he's willing to give us to contribute to this, this phenomena of a franchise why would you disregard that? Oh, you know, of course. The man, and, the man is giving us his best work in it, through okay. his life's work, you know? Yep. yep. And um, I don't doubt that if Renee were still around, that he would figure out a way to come back, even if he didn't come back as Odo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He would play another character. He played another character in an episode of Enterprise, you know, well, um, not to take anything from uh, Cronenberg, but he would have fit that role well. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I can, I can, I can see him in that role, or heck, even as Odo, because who knows how long Changelings live, and you know, um, he did join the Link, and uh, so theoretically, is still possibly alive, um, which is how Renee can live on, always in Captain Dog forever, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> And oh, I don't know where was I going. Um, I don't know where I was going, but yes, I mean the the the, the fact is is that the mistakes will continue to be made. But I feel like there is so much content that the creators have to look back at. I feel like the chances of making real big like code of honor level mistakes are probably going to be much lower. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. Exactly. Because we're a lot. That, the creators are much more conscious now. Right, yeah. much more inclusive on and diverse on and with intent, um, mm-hmm. and and the thing that I love, and because diversity with intent comes with a huge responsibility, and I can't speak to a lot. Of, I I can only speak to 
my experience and, and what I see, um, especially with some of the reactions in the community. But previous attempts at diversity in this franchise, while heralded and welcome at the time, um, where they missed the mark were those those diverse individuals were not representative nor represented by people of those communities. Um, and that's right. the big difference that we get now when we have, um, you know, with, with characters like Adira and Blue the Barrio and Anthony and Wilson as, uh, uh, you know, Stamets and Cruz, uh, not Cruz, Stamets and Culber. Um, and, and those, you know, the fact that, and, and you know, um, strong, powerful uh, characters across the board uh, just just being there in the moment um, and represented representing and represented by uh, people of those people of those um, societies those cultures you know communities yeah That's right and good. I mean you know you and I are both you know white guys and 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 you know we've been we've been represented in in popular culture and media for for since the dawn of time. Yep. And, Never struggled you know, to find myself as the hero. Right. Um, and I, you know, I can recognize, you know, what pieces of entertainment media or whatever aren't for me, but I, at the same time, I'm like, I'm, I'm glad that they're there because there's somebody out there that has never seen themselves as the hero. And now they get to, and get to. Yeah. I, I looked at it the other day because because I work for an HBCU, um, I I have been trying to. We have um, our dean of liberal arts and sciences is a uh, an African American woman, and I've uh, been talking with her, trying to get a get her interested in Trek, but get her interested in Trek from the standpoint of right now, you know, we realize so Discovery, Lower Decks, two of the three main shows that are on the Trek shows that are on right now we have women of color captains and, and in lead just, positions like lead character positions Beckett right. uh, Mariner right. is you know a lead the lead on right. that show arguably right. and I mean that just that just blows my mind and just to just to think as far as as far as Trek has come from you know from Nichelle Nichols being on the original series to Whoopi Goldberg, you know, when she tells her story, well, when when Nichelle Nichols tells her story about how King convinced her to stay on on, on the original series, um, how how uh, Whoopi Goldberg says that she watched Star Trek and she said, you know, hey mom, you should come and see this. There's there's a there's a black woman on the black lady on the screen and she's not the maid, you know, right? To, to her playing Einan, to you know, to Avery Brooks playing Cisco, like. You know the the and the depiction of the you know this father and son relationship uh you know a black man and his son and and the father son bond that they had like i mean i can't watch there are episodes of deep deep space nine like i can't watch unless i'm at home and by myself because if i watch the visitor i'm gonna cry oh if yeah I watch, oh, yeah if i watch far beyond the stars i'm gonna cry like it's just it's inevitable like Yep, it is. Uh, uh, and those and 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 you know, talking about aside from uh, aside from being positive black representation, um, just positive male 
non-toxic masculinity representation yeah. that Cisco is. Um, that I I um, I'm, I have no doubt that I am trying to be the father that I am because of Benjamin Cisco. Um, be, you know, just the 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 the. the mm, the pauses that he takes to evaluate the, the impact, the things that he's doing have on Jake uh, and, right. you know, how he always uh, considers Jake and the impact it's going to have on him, the decisions that they make together. Um, it's, you know, it, it shows a partnership in, in a relationship, a, a parent child relationship that isn't typical, you know, and that is, any in any you know friendship partnership anything, um, being the being a partner in that in that interaction is is key, uh, but seeing that presented in a positive way um, on a you know uh, sci fi show in the nineties that you know not a whole lot of people were watching, um, it was fresh you know it's fresh yeah. So but you uh, mentioned I'll well, uh, oh, go ahead. Now, as I say, the just you know, just coming back to the you know the, the current shows, just the, the the degree of representation for people that have not been who have not been in the past is just you know, Trek needs to be needs to be just kind of shouted from the rooftops. And when um, when Star Trek Day was on, <laughs> I made the point of subjecting. So uh, I, I'm also I have I wear a lot of hats at my job, and one of them is. Uh, I am an adjunct professor. I teach an educational technology course to pre-teachers in the education department. Oh, cool. So it's a, it's a course, course requirement, and uh, they are expected to have a basic understanding of technology when, uh, in order to uh, graduate and to, and to achieve their uh, state licensure. So right. um, Star Trek Day just so happened. So I've taught this class now for three semesters and the first two semesters, it was all online because of COVID. Um, the first time it was uh, half Zoom and half um, asynchronous, basically on a, on a, on a learning management type of Moodle system. And then last semester is 100% on Moodle, whereas um, there's no interaction, no, no class time, so to speak. So this, this semester is the first time I actually am face to face with my students. And it just so happens that a class session landed on Star Trek Day, and I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not going. Or it landed the day before, I guess. Um, was it the day before or the day? No, it must have been the day of. So the trailer had launched maybe the day before, mm-hmm. so I was able to show the trailer just as class was starting. And I'm like, this is a property that's been around for 55 years, and it's now in a state where, you know, it. When you look at where it started versus where it is now, you know, in terms of the representation, it's just it's 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 come so far. And oh yeah, oh yeah, and what, a, and what man, an excellent opportunity. Yeah, um, and that trailer just I could watch that, that trailer over and over again. Like that trailer is just two and a half minutes of of the how they packaged Trek in two and a half minutes in a fifty five year legacy of what Trek is in two and a half minutes just just blew me away. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we uh, obviously can talk about Star Trek all day, come day, and I'm okay with that. Uh, yes. You mentioned earlier top five, top ten episodes. Is that a oh, rolling? God. Is that a rolling top ten? It's a it's a flexible top ten, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of so if I if I think um, among them are definitely City on the Edge of Forever. 
Oh, right. Um, the Menagerie. Um, see, somebody asked me, somebody somebody tagged me in a tweet and they were like, hey, could you recommend your best, your favorite episodes? And of oh course, so, so um, uh, oh, uh, Mall Space Seed. Yeah. Um, and but the one one of the ones that I did mention was uh, from the animated series is yesteryear because I actually think that I started with quote unquote the original series with the animated series before I started watching TLS. Oh wow! I think yeah, I, watched, I think I watched TAS on Nickelodeon before I started watching TLS. Wow! Um, what a great introduction. So yeah, um, I don't know when I first was. I know that I was introduced to, I know I was a five-year-old in the 80s, so what did I grow up with? He-Man, Transformers, Voltron, and G.I. Joe, and Ghostbusters, and then Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came a little bit later, but I mean- All the great stuff. Five-year-old was, you know, you're talking about magic and technology just kind of right side by side with each other. Oh yeah, absolutely. You you had your peanut butter and your jelly in the same jar, and, and nobody cared, and- Oh, and the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. So I actually watched the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon before I ever played D&D. Oh, yeah, me um, too. <laughs> um, but Saturday I, but morning Star required Wars, viewing, you know? Yeah. Star Wars was my was my science fiction introduction. So I got Star Wars before I got Star Trek. Um, but the way that my mom tells the story is that her mom was, was the sci-fi nerd. She was the would go to the movie theater to watch the, the the matinee serials of Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon and all the golden age sci-fi. Oh yeah. And so that's, that is my science fiction DNA is, is that's where that comes from. It comes from my mom's side of the family. And, um, but I started with star Wars before I got star Trek. So I can't exactly remember. The only thing I can remember for certain is I watched animated series um, on Nickelodeon. That's pretty good. Um, so, that's a that's a great place to start, you know. Yeah, and yesteryear is just you know how can you how can you pass up and you know this this situation where where Spock goes back and you know and meets his child or has his this child version of himself and he gives the op- opportunity to to mentor him even for right. just a few minutes. Um, and one thing that's easy to kind of miss about yesteryear, first of all, uh, dear listeners, if you're not familiar, it has long been one of the episodes that has always been considered canon, whereas the rest of the series has been in flux to to this guy, to the Commodore, to Dan Decker. Uh, the animated series has always been canon because why the heck not? What's it? Why not? It doesn't. Oh come on! I mean, we can come on. We can spend the whole episode talking about canon and the concept of canon. Who cares? It's all made up. Who cares? Like uh, Thor Odinson said, all words are made up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing more true in the universe. This is this is all fiction. It can be whatever we want it to be. And in my head, canon, um, we didn't see the first year of the five-year mission. Uh, years two, three, and four are seasons one, two, and three of, of the original series, and the fifth year is the animated series. Bada bing, bada boom, Bob's your uncle, there's your canon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, well, and two, uh, it's got some of the best Trek 
I mean, because they were unbound by the um, limits of the ability to tell stories with special effects. It was a cartoon. They could do whatever the heck they wanted to. You want a giant Aztec space dragon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got that. And, you know, that's one of the, that's one of the great ones. And they did that. And even going back, it's, it's, it's very sensitive about the premise. It's not, um, it doesn't take the cultural implications of that lightly, right? They're respectful of, of that Aztec culture, of that uh, Mesoamerican culture. Um, they don't play it for, they don't play it for laughs. Um, and they don't do that a lot of times. Uh, and two, you know, being that it was a cartoon, they were able to get away with a lot of more, um, a lot more powerful stories that involved, uh, you know, like uh, the Lorelei syndrome, I think is what it's called, where all the women on the ship saved the day, you know? And like every red shirt down is a down beam down to the planet is a red skirt instead. And, uh, you know, I mean, they just come they, and then none of them die. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah. I don't remember that one too well, but I'll definitely have to go back and watch that. Oh, yeah. The uh, the the men all get uh, seduced by, you know, siren style uh, and end up on the planet where they're being emaciated by. Uh, it's basically the cartoon version of the Harry Kim story from Voyager where, you know, Oh, Harry, you're actually one of us. Yeah, <laughs> right. you know, yeah, you don't end up on the, or, you, you don't come Cersei, out the other side. Cersei in the Odyssey, where she turns all the all the the, the men, all of the, all of Odysseus's crewmates into into pigs. Basically, um, yes, yeah, that yes. whole thing, yeah. Um, yeah, that very very uh, very old tale as old as time, just like uh, just like Beauty and the Beast. Um, right. <laughs> uh, but uh, going back to yesteryear. Um, it's easy to miss the fact that history changes twice, right? Um, okay. There's the incident that causes the initial change where uh, Spock is not in Starfleet and isn't uh, because he died. Right. <laughs> and then he goes back <clears throat> to fix that. And in even going back to fix it, it's different than the time he remembers because his salad died. Right. And again, like how can you just, you know, just allow Trek to just, you know, rip your heart out over and over and over and mm -hmm. over. And, you know, watching watching young Spock, you know, grieve the loss of his pet, like But also learning the lead the the lesson of the logic of euthanization, you know? Right. Um, mm -hmm. and I mean that's where people fail a lot of times to understand that Vulcans don't not have emotion they control their emotion through logic um and they process emotion through logic um but that doesn't mean that they don't grieve and that doesn't mean that they don't sense loss and that they don't contemplate what that loss is for them like all the rest of us do um you know here we are speaking about a fictional species but at the same time there's lessons to be learned um you know i'm no uh uh, not ashamed to admit or say uh, that Spock has taught me more about humanity than most humans ever have. Um, you know, that line from Kirk uh, at the end of uh, the Wrath of Khan when they're, when he's eulogizing Spock is, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's the truth. Mm -hmm. you know? And, and I can't, speaking of things I can't watch without crying, that moment slays me every mm -hmm. time and it has since I saw OG when I was seven. Um, right. I was not a pleased seven-year-old. I actually didn't see the uh, the feature films. I think I don't. I don't think I saw the feature films until I was in high school. So, I saw Next Generation. I remember. I have some very very specific memories of watching Next Gen when it first aired. Mm -hmm. um, 
in 87. Um, the uh, the um, Wesley Crusher gets sentenced to death because he ripped the paper oh, yeah. on the oh, front of a lot of people. Like, I remember watching that episode, like, sitting in the TV room of my house where I grew up in New Jersey, watching that episode. Um, but I didn't really get into Next Generation until I was in high school, until it um, until it started rapping um, in 94, and then pretty much took a deep dive in everything and bought the encyclopedia and bought the technical manual oh, yes. and and I mean, you want to talk about hyper-focus, but like I was, you know, I was watching feature films and reading the chronology and, you know, I, doing it all. And I was, I was completely and utterly absorbed. So but, I'm, I'm about to say something that you can probably understand. A couple of things first. I may still have it, but if, it, if I do, it's in a box buried at my mom's house. Uh, but I did have first printing copy of the Next Generation Technical Manual by uh, yeah. Michael Kuda and um, wh- who's the other author? Oh, I'm gonna get Justin. It wrong. Justin yeah, maybe. yeah, maybe. Yeah, that seems right. Um, and uh, and then realizing that it was still available new in print, I, I don't remember what printing it is, but it's pretty advanced number that I rebought it for myself. Um, and man, just flip. Wow. Talk about talk about a wave of just memory when mm-hmm. I started flipping through that and looking back in there, how much of that was, you know, well thought out attempt to actually explain the science of the fiction, you know? Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you can, if you look at it, you can get a rudimentary understanding of the concept of how uh, a matter antimatter uh, reactor can power a warp drive, you know? Right. Uh, and transporters and replicators and phasers and yeah, and yeah. everything can broken down with a with a degree of uh, of technical rigor. I yeah, I mean we can nerd out right now because I love to. Um, I think the you know I don't know I can't speak for a lot of fans, but but there there seems to be some sort of a misconception about uh, what is required to make warp drive work. It isn't matter or antimatter uh, reaction, it's the amount of power you can supply to the plasma coils to make a warp bubble. So that's how Cochrane yes. uh, was able to may achieve warp in a hobbled together, you know, uh, repurposed missile because, um, you know, presumably had some form of either nuclear fission or fusion reactor. Uh, but that's why it's only capable of warp one because that's all the power it can provide. Being able to control matter antimatter reaction via the lithium crystal and focusing that energy into warp plasma allows us to make bigger bubbles and travel faster. And multi-layered bubbles, and you start talking about variable field warp geometry. And yeah, and, thank you, Voyager. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, no, shut up. You also uh, uh, graphed warp field geometry on your TI eighty one in high school. I know you did. Because <laughs> you could, because why not? Um, going, back to, going back to Vulcans and talking about how you know we 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 the initial perception was always that Vulcans had no emotions. Um, there's the perfect line from from the first Kelvin Star Trek movie uh, where Sarek is played by Ben Cross, who I love. Uh, it was I, great. I Come him. on, yep. Um, where he says to Spock, he's like, look, you know what? This is, you know why I married your mother? I married her because I love her. Like, or I loved her. Like, you know, you're not going to get that. 
from, you know, it's just it's just a different portrayal of Sarek that you wouldn't yeah, have gotten from Mark Leonard and the and the actor who I love, but I can't remember his name, the one who's playing um, who's playing Sarek in um, in disco right now. Right, right. Um, but you know, it's just this opportunity to take to to take a different look at the same character and just to say something like that. And and something that Spock absolutely needed to hear because Spock is just still dealing with the trauma of of his childhood where he was where he was bullied um, for being half human and he he needed to hear from his father that he loved his mother right and because by adjunct implies that he also loves Spock and that's that's the biggest disconnect is that although even through to the end you know um, um, uh, the I hate I don't even want to call it prime or main timeline um, you know the the T in TNG when Sarek comes to the end, it, right. Spock never got that resolution with him. He never got to hear his father tell him he loves him. You know, um, but he did when he melded with the car. I know, and that speaking of a moment I can't watch without crying. <laughs> you know, um, and just oh, uh, but but yeah, even each version of Sarek has been. Um, had that depth to it that you can see, like even Mark Leonard, you can see in his portrayal, especially uh, after the death of Spock, when he comes to Kirk and he's like, what have you done with my son? Essentially. <laughs> right. Why had, why did you abandon him? Basically, where is he when, when he's seeking, uh, seeking Spock's Katra? Um, you, you know, that's not a, a father who isn't in the middle of devastating grief. You know, right. uh, he's just doing it logically, but he even gets a little aggress there. You know, um, mm -hmm. he lets a little of that break through. And and um, and each version of Sarek has that moment where, you know, there's a little bit of and in and, and Discovery, it's proxied through Michael, um, where, yeah. you know, and and Sarek plays that he plays that toxic parent side of, well, it's up to Spock to come talk to me. <laughs> But, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, but but well, it's still a version, this is a version of Sarek that just doesn't know. He's just he's he has, you know, he might be the parent and he might be, you know, incredibly skilled as an ambassador and he and all these things. But you can tell that he still has a lot to learn about about how to be a father. Right. Right. Well, especially, um, you know, everything he learned about being a father as a Vulcan is irrelevant because his child, uh, you know, this child, Spock, uh, is half human and he's adopted a human child and married a human uh, woman. And so everything about what he's learned culturally and, uh, you know, um, uh, in that in that regard as being a parent is irrelevant. It's, it doesn't right. apply. And uh, and then we learn uh, we learn, you know, when um, uh, another moment that I can't watch uh, when Spock and Michael say goodbye um, yeah. in that, uh, you know, in his in his uh, journey and discovery, we learn that he's dyslexic as well, um, yep. you know, and I mean that just every every new nuance we get with Spock as a character just endears him more to me, um, you know, uh, and uh, I am. I am so thrilled for Strange New Worlds for all the right reasons, for all those reasons. But Ethan Peck, uh, his interpretation of that character is deadpan, man. It's right on. Yep. And, mm -hmm. uh, 
Uh, I was listening. Pedigree too, which yeah. Um, oh right, right. I mean, Gregory, who now? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. So, are you? I'm a. I'm a. I'm, I'm a all. I'm a taker, man. Give me that track. I love it all. I'll, I incorporate mm-hmm. it all. Um, yep. I, I don't have any of it that I, I disregard, um, and uh, I, I get the sense that you're you're the same way. I, I, and it's taken me a long time to come to that point because I definitely, you know, I, I've been, I've been among people that were like, you know, only the even numbered track movies are the good ones. And, and, uh, you know, there may have been a time in my life where I tended to agree with that but as I got older, you know what, I, I can't watch final frontier without, without the, without getting choked up over, Cybok presents each each Kirk, Spock, and McCoy with the opportunity to join him and release them from their pain. And it comes time to Spock, and Spock looks at Cybok. He's like, "Yeah, you know what? You're my brother, but I can't join you because they're my like." Yep, they're my ride or die. This is not something that I never had in my life. You know, uh, I, um, I have a best friend who's who's uh, my sib from another crib, and uh, you know, the closest thing that I ever had to a brother, and so. You know, these are three guys who, yeah, you know what, in the original series, you can tell that they were, you know, they were close, you know, they were, that they worked together, profession, blah, blah, blah. But as soon as everything happened with Spock, like, it just took it to a whole other level. And and people talk about motion picture and they have their issues with motion picture. And I'm all like, motion picture? I'm about to drop a hot take. I, motion picture may be the most track, most Star Trek of all the Trek films. Nope. I have said that. Those words are uttered on episodes of this podcast. The motion oh. picture is one of the Trekkinest Treks that ever trekked. And there are moments in there that are absolutely crucial to the characters we love. Period. Q, Q wanted the crew of the Enterprise D to explore existence. And all they should have done was go back in the in the historical records and looked at the incident with Viger because Viger would have been the moment. Like, why didn't when when Q took the Enterprise D to the other side of the galaxy or, or however they took them to introduce them to the Borg? Why didn't they go back and be like, "Hey, you know what? This sounds an awful lot like the Viger incident." Like, yeah, you know, where, you know, there, there was such an opportunity to put. To can make the connection there, and but yeah. one of the two two things those two movies that you that you you know Final Frontier and the motion picture, uh, and the camaraderie, the brotherhood, the siblinghood between these characters, um, and when you know Bones, irascible, lovable, bearded disco Bones. Uh, shows up on the transporter who's already he's already mad that he's his you know molecules have been scattered to have to go yeah oh uh, yeah some little known rarely used starfleet regulation oh my god oh i love it it is it is one of the best moments but but he, through all of the through all of the irascibility and through all of the ribbing and hard time he's given kirk kirk catches him and gets his attention and says bones i need you I need you. And in that moment, it isn't like, hey, you know, I got to have a CMO. It's like, I can't do what we need to do without you here. Because here's the I thing, though. Can't does he need a CMO or does he need, does he need? He needs bones. 
Yeah. No, he needs, he needs bones. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, same same reason, you know, and, and Spock shows up with a different agenda because he's basically hitching a ride to Beecher. But right. in in that also realizes that he he's not he wasn't where he needed to be and the enterprise is where he's meant to be. Um, right. And then we get to those moments in Final Frontier. It gets a lot of grief, uh, or it did back then. It was one of the only ones. Aside, so the motion picture and uh, Final Frontier were the two that I did not see in theaters. Uh, one, I was too I was too young for the first, and um, I was like Bleh, on the on Final Frontier because I heard about all the the business behind the scenes and William Shatner and all that. And it was after he had all but he'd already told the fans to get a life, and then he wants to direct a movie. And I was like, to heck with you, man. Um, <laughs> I hate to say, but you know what? Everybody's making such a big deal over. Oh, William Shatner's going to space. I'm like, good for him. But first of all, he's not really going to space, and second of all, it's just some big enterprise, and it's not like enterprise. And I use the I uh, use the word. Whoops! <laughs> it's some big corporate undertaking. There we go. Uh, um, which is just completely antithetical to Trek. So uh, yeah. Uh, I, I'm I'm underwhelmed by oh, that. Oh, that yeah. Did, I mean, good for him. Essentially, is the way I look at it. Uh, but I realized <clears throat> over the years uh, that that you know through that Mandela effect, I was ascribing some of my favorite moments uh, to other parts of other Trek movies, and they're all in Final Frontier. It is oh, really? a showcase of the Holy Triumvirate, man. Um, it is some of the best character building moments between Kirk McCoy and Spock, uh, in all of Star Trek. Uh, the camping yes. scene is a fucking amazing, <laughs> you know, and the one you just talked about, uh, when, you know, Kirk's like, I need my pain. It's what, you know, it's what makes me who I am. And, and McCoy's like, you know, I made the right decision and it matters not that the next day there was a cure for what killed my dad. You know, right. I, I did the best thing with what we had, and I'm not going to let you take that away from me. Um, right. You know, I've already done the work on myself. You can't make me feel worse. Uh, right. <laughs> and that is that is 100 percent bones. And, and you know, um, flipping over to to the Kelvin line, um, uh, Carl Urban, man, he nailed it. Oh, yeah. I feel so bad because I, I went on the, well, I mean, he wasn't, he, he, I went on Star Trek Cruise 2. And uh, so that was January of 2018. And he unfortunately was not as visible and, and in, you know, out there among everybody as much as he would have liked because he, he came down with some sort of real nasty flu or something like oh, that. No. But I would have loved to have listened to him talk because, I mean, he just, he he put on that uniform and he became he became Dr. McCoy and and he lost the the Australian or New New Zealand accent whatever I can't remember what which it is but um, yeah it's just and, and he never broke no nope. he never broke that accent he had that that's just enough of a southern affectation he wasn't yes. going for a drawl you know he was affecting and it was it right. was it was subtle and perfect. Um, you know, but uh, space is disease and darkness <laughs> wrapped in silence. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, it's perfect bones. And uh, yep. and the you know the he wore the pinky ring. He wears the pinky ring. What's uh, the, so what's the significance of that? 
so if you go back and watch uh, uh, episodes of the original series, Bones wears a pinky ring. Um, okay. And so uh, Kelvin Bones has that pinky ring, but it isn't just he's wearing a pinky ring. It's the pinky ring. It's the same okay. one um, okay. that uh, that uh, Miss Kelly lent to the production. Okay. Yeah. I have to go. I'll do a little research on that. That's that's yeah. new to me. Yeah, it's a it's a cool piece of trivia uh, for me at least. Now, did you enjoy the Kelvin movies? I, I enjoyed the Kelvin movies overall. Uh, I have my issues with Into Darkness. Um, I think that we all do. Um, my issue, my biggest issue with Into Darkness is is that it shouldn't have been Khan. It could just um, have been John Harrison. It's fine. He could have just been John Harrison, and he could have just been trying to leverage the Khan name to scare people, and it would have been fine. Yep. Uh, and, you know, why are you going to make Khan Noonien sing a white British guy? Like, that's just, I don't know who, who thought that was a good idea, but. Yeah, bad, bad, bad plan. But right. um, um, Beyond is one of my favorites. I love Beyond, Beyond. So good. Beyond was just like, just golden age, you know, heroic, you know, rocket ships and ray guns and, and Idris Elba. And, and then the, the thing that just blew me away was that how much love Enterprise got, you yeah. know, the, yes. the, um, the Mako, baby. I was like, wait, they're mentioning the Makos? They're mentioning, they're, they're making an Enterprise reference? Like, yep. I, I am late to the party on Enterprise, but Enterprise does not get as much credit as it deserves. It, um, it has aged uh, quite nicely. Um, yeah. There are, again, there are places where it, it uh, has its problems, but Alltrek does. Um, but given the task that it assigned itself now, you know, it could have made different choices, but they, they took on the task that they decided to, they made the show they decided to make. And uh, looking back, it, it, it does a lot of real good stuff, you know? Uh, and yes. the NX-01 is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite ships. Connor, 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 he's Trenier is the one that played Trip. Yep. Yeah. Now that he's another one where he was on the cruise, and I, I'm, I kick myself for having not, you know, really paid more attention to him because Trip is probably my favorite character. Oh, he's great, wow. and uh, uh, not to, uh, I mean, this just kind of segues. Um, just today, you know, I've been on a tear making T-shirts at Cotton Bureau. Uh, because I've just, uh, you know, they trust me, and I don't know if that's a good thing on their part, but uh, not a sponsor of the show. Uh, but okay. I decided um, uh, today uh, I've had the idea in my head of how to uh, to a, a trip lives shirt. Are you finished okay. with Enterprise? He never died. Yeah, that was terrible. Yeah, the last episode does not exist in my canon. That's just all there is to it. Um, I mean, uh, it's all in the holiday, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, right. Terra Prime is an excellent series finale. <laughs> uh, but uh, I found I found uh, the perfect uh, uh, setup for it. And so today I put up a shirt that uh, it has a silhouette of the NX-01 and right above it is hashtag trip lives. Nice. <laughs> so I'm uh, going to drop that on track Tuesday tomorrow and see how it does. Um, my Rito's shirt had uh, uh, taken off quite well. I was... Uh, uh, oh, the Rito shirt is legit now. Yeah, you can get yeah. it on. Supposedly, you can get it on Star Trek Shop. Okay, they, they, well, they, I think they made. Um, uh, I think it's official now. So. Oh well, good. Well, <laughs> you know, I beat them to the punch. 
<laughs> and to be fair, I did go check first. Uh, I did go to the official Star Trek shop. Somebody from Star Trek social media saw your shirt and were like, you know what? This needs to be a real one. And We're leaving you know, money on the table, y'all. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it's. I mean, it's entirely possible. Uh, Star Trek official does follow me. So, uh, you know, you I, I anticipate the DMCA any day now. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, I think they're pretty cool about it. Um, there are a lot of uh, long-running uh, Trek reference uh, shirts on uh, Cotton Bureau, and I'm not using anything that's trademarked or um, right. not, you know, not protected by the fact that it's a general word. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, and then the uh, the other one, I, I decided there needed to be one of those uh, shirts that's the so and so and so and so meme, uh, and so I did one for the Adventures. <laughs> Steven, that might be a meme that I'm meme that I missed. I don't. I don't oh, know it's like it. a. It goes through a list, and so you know, like it, it's like the friends. So it'll be like Ross and Rachel and Monica. And, oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha. just an iterative list of whoever it might be. So I did one of those for the um, uh, Avengers today. This is fun. It's fun. Speaking of Cotton Bureau, this is one of their shirts too. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So this I call this secret alien man. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the actual name is, but. Uh, <laughs> well, man, uh, um, as, uh, are there any? Oh, you mentioned Star Wars. Are there any other franchises that uh, you keep up with? Um, the other big, real big one is um, for me is Reimagined Battlestar Galactica. Oh um, yes, I I caught an episode of. I, I had been sitting down. I can't remember what it was that we. Oh no, somebody had asked one of my friends. One of my friends, when I used to, when I was still in New Jersey, who um, I was playing D and D with, he was like, "Yeah, um, you know, we're gonna watch the the season premiere of Battlestar Galactica. Do you want to come and watch?" I'm like, "I mean, I'm down to hang out for just about anything. I don't care." Um, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing! I need to watch the beginning uh, seasons one and two right away." I went out, bought the DVD box sets, and just inhaled them. Yep. I was and. and of course, it has the, it has the pedigree. It has Ron Moore and it has um, Bradley Weddle and David Thompson. I always get there. I don't know who's who, but which which first and last names go with which. But it's that pair that that followed him from Deep Space Nine, and um, you know the 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 germination of that serial format of writing style came from Deep Space Nine, and they brought it into BSG. And it blew my mind, and it's one of my favorite non non Trek pieces of yep. sci fi television. Well, and um, you know, it is the it is the uh, realization of what Voyager could have been. Honestly, yeah. um, mm -hmm. you know, a limited resource uh, against all odds, uh, pursued by a uh, relentless uh, cybernetic race. You know, uh, eventually, at least. And um, right. but yeah, so it falls into or, or rises to the top of, I should say, uh, what I call the four pillars of, of Star Franchise, and that's Star Trek, Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, and Stargate. All four of those, like I, I am beyond objectivity, and so mm -hmm. I have set them above all the rest because I can't. It's like Superman. Uh, Captain America, uh, the first Avenger, uh, end of uh, end of the Spider Verse, uh, and the first Sam Raimi Spider Man film. Those are all just like those are all perfect superhero films. Like right. you you can't 
make better superhero films. <laughs> yes. um, so you know you have to you have to retire them. They can no longer be considered objectively that I'm too emotional about it. Uh, right. So. Um, and um, I never really got into Stargate personally. Um, I, I I have tried. Um, it's made, a lot. I guess I, it's. I know it's all. Yeah. And I I mean I love the movie. Um, with Kurt Russell and and uh, um, James Spader, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and I know that you've got you know the original SG one, and then you've got Atlantis, and then you've mm-hmm. got Universe or yep. what was it? Well, yep. Yeah, yep. Stargate Universe, uh, yeah, Stargate Universe, yeah, a lot. Um, and then Babylon Five was one that I've struggled to get into. Same um, here, but, but I've, I've got a plan, so I'm going to try and get into it. Well, yeah, we're going to get a relaunch of that, or whether it's going to be a reboot or or a, or a re- whatever they're going to call it, and yep. JMS involved. So that's going to be that's exciting on the CW of all places. <clears throat> yes. So we'll see um, how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Soap opera Dramedy Central. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I really enjoyed the the um, the Flash Arrow. Um, shows. Did you watch uh, Superman and Lois? Uh, I did watch it in the beginning. I don't know. I, I just, I think I kind of got burned out on the format altogether. I really didn't land of, with uh, you, but I love Tyler Hecklin as Superman. Like, yeah, no, he's I, doing a great job. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, um, what was the other thing I was going to, oh yeah. Oh, Doctor Who. Doctor yeah, Who is probably good. the hardest franchise. Like I just, they just announced that we're going to get new Doctor Who on, on Halloween. And I'm like, Ooh. I know. Doctor Who and Star Trek are too close together to under, for me to remember which came first, but I'm pretty sure it was Doctor Who, as far as well, my introduction. Do you remember? Do you remember Starlog magazine? Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Do you remember that there used to be a chain of Starlog retail stores? No, I don't remember so, that. Starlog retail stores because there was one in a shopping mall in New Jersey that um, it's the only reason why as a growing up I have any knowledge of Doctor Who because I it was when they did the the Paul McGann movie yeah so they did merchandise from the Paul McGann movie and they the TARDIS key and a picture of him and I just looked at it and I'm like what the heck is this and it never really stuck with me so I didn't get into Doctor Who until I was an adult and I saw it on Sci-Fi Channel. I saw David Tennant on Sci-Fi Channel. It didn't stick with me then. It really only stuck with me once it got to Matt Smith. And I saw the Matt Smith episodes where they're in the 1960s and they're in the White House with... Um, oh, the silence. Uh, yes. and, oh, and the good actor, stuff. The, it's, it's, a, it's a father-son duo and the guy, the guy is everywhere and I can't remember his name, but he... On Firefly, he played Badger. Mm-hmm. He's supernatural. He's in. He's been in Doctor Who. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, and that's what. So it was Matt Smith. Like Matt Smith is not my Doctor, but he's my first Doctor because right, right. David Tennant is my favorite Doctor of all of all time so far. But Matt Smith is what got me hooked. Nice, so. nice. Well, that's that's an interesting take um, because. Uh, I like I said, my first doctor was um, oh Tom Baker, right, and uh, number four, and um, <laughs> but I also remember a lot of uh, of Pertwee's run because uh, those were in rerun on uh, PBS, yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. so I watched those at an early age. 
um, actually listened to them over the radio more than I saw them on TV because we could get uh, AM, AM side rebroadcast of the audio side of the station. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of it was almost like radio drama, but it was great. It was great stuff. Um, so yeah, and then you, you pretty much hit all the highlights as far as like what I would, what I would re require in, uh, in someone I would consider well-rounded and a reasonable person. <laughs> so, okay. That's good. I passed the test. Yeah. Um, and you didn't even know you were studying for, uh, and Dungeons and Dragons, man, how long have you oh, been no, studying? I've been studying all my life is really what right. it's all about. That's true. That is true. Uh, but what about Dungeons and Dragons? How long have you been doing that? Uh, since the seventh grade, um, it was a choice between either DC Comics RPG or D&D and &D, and we went with D&D &D and, and that pretty much uh, kicked it off. It was a bunch of, uh, we were all gifted and talented kids and we were on a, on a school bus and, and one, one, uh, one of the guys started talking about it. And um, yeah, so middle school, high school, college, I, I, I'm actually trying now to get a group together to run it. At, at my school where I where I work. Oh wow! Um, yes, because I want to see it demonstrated as an educational tool. Like yep. I've been talking to the writing center, I've been talking to the library, I've been talking to the program coordinator for general ed. And I'm all like, you have a format, this format of collaborative storytelling and creative writing and problem solving. It is interdisciplinary. It's math. It's and it's know, never it's, been more inclusive than it is right now. Uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable how inclusive and diverse it is right now. Like, well, uh, one of these days I'm gonna. Time, time to be a nerd. Like, our, I play D and D is something that you can say, and you don't have to worry about getting ostracized. Yep. Yeah, you might uh, actually find a new game that you don't have time to play. But you will incorporate into your life anyway because that's who you are as a person. <laughs> exactly, and you know, and and <clears throat> we're about to get the the fiftieth anniversary of D and D is coming up in in just over two years. Yep, and um, the fifth edition's been around for ten years and something like that. Uh, it is uh, no, not quite yet. So fifth edition landed in twenty fourteen, but it's going. So uh, we're going into uh, almost uh, its eighth uh, year. Yeah. Right. By the time the 50th anniversary hits, it will have been 10 years there old. There it is. Which okay, is good. Which is like one of the longest runs for any edition of D&D. &D. And what I like, I, what I what I kind of picture it is, or how I kind of interpret it is, um, this is the first D&D &D launched really in the fully digital age. Uh, like yeah. I own, don't tell my wife, but I own all the things. But it's all on D&D &D Beyond. Right. right, you know, right, right. Um, and it's all the digital content there, and um, but the way that it's been structured is it's iterative now. Um, the errata are updated automatically. Uh, new right. content is added, and and you know, I don't anticipate really a sixth edition uh, kind of you know. Um, I mean, yeah, we're going to get some revisions. They're talking about it already. You know, we're going to get a we're going to get a little bit of a revision on the DM side in January with this with this multiverse of uh, madness book, where um, some of the more NPC type uh, characters are going to get their stat blocks reorganized to make it easier to run for the DM. Right. Um, but then they're talking about some more rule changes to come with with. Um, with the 50th anniversary, but you're right. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why would you, 
why would you launch sixth edition when fifth edition works as well as it does? Well, and you can kind of, as a programmer or, or an IT person, you, you, you're going to get this, uh, but consider, um, you know, you consider like uh, all the editions, you know, previous editions as bespoke uh, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, whereas fifth edition uh, is more of like a programming framework. Um, yes. you know, and we get updates to the framework, but um, it's easy to update your code to run on the new OS, right? But it isn't, it isn't, uh, it isn't a whole new version. It's been so iterative over the last seven to eight years um, that it doesn't feel like you're playing a new game. But if you know, I have first first edition player's handbook for this uh, for fifth edition, and if you were trying to play uh, play the game against that the first, version, the first edition of the fifth edition, yeah, the first edition, of the, the ones that were prone to falling apart. Um, the party, party, party the second part. Uh, but I, uh, you know, and, and one of the things when it comes to playing D&D &D and, and how it is collaborative and how it is a cooperative, um, and it is both, uh, is that the most important thing to remember about D&D, &D, I have three things. It's called a player's handbook, not a player's rule book. It's a dungeon True. master's guide, not a dungeon master's rule book. Right. Um, and... Find a way to say yes. It's more yep. fun for the players and the DM if you find a way to let your player try that crazy thing, right? Right. I had a player one time who was like, I want to climb up the back of the stone golem and wrap my cape around its head and blind it. And I was like, all right, then let's figure this out. You know, it takes it takes three, three actions to do it. But in the end, guess what? The golem was blinded and they beat the crap out of it. Because it was right. blinded, you know, find right. a way to make it fun. Um, reward their creativity. And when when the when the DM takes more of a moderator role and a facilitator role, and recognizes that they're just another player at the table with a different yep. set of moves than everybody else, then that's that's the ideal environment. That's the you know. I don't want to kill my players. I'm not their adversary. I just have the. I am the. I am the boundaries of the environment. I am the real engine behind the, you know, the unreal engine behind the uh, the RPG you're playing. Um, right. My goal isn't to beat you because there's no winning. Um, and, you know, when my players land a critical against somebody that I'm, you know, an enemy I'm playing, I'm just as excited for them because I want them to win. I want them to beat the thing that I made because it means that they're getting it and it means that they're, they're learning and they're doing and they're 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 working together. Uh, you know, I don't want a TPK my party. I mean, if that's what the dice do, that's what the dice do. But at the same time, I want to see my players at, because I've been that player who, you know, gets to celebrate that victory with their DM because that's that's how you play. You know, right. But I, but I will say that my enjoyment of RPGs has come from playing as many different types of games as I possibly have been able to mm -hmm. over the years and not just saying, Oh, I like D and D D and D does it for me. And especially because, you know, I come from, I, you know, I come from star Wars. And as soon as I found out that there was a star Wars RPG, I was like, okay, let's do this. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And I could run West end D six star Wars for you in my sleep. I could, <laughs> right. Yeah. I could sit around and I could tell you how to create a character without looking at a book. I could, 
you know, I could, I don't need books. All I need is pencil paper and six sided dice. Yep. Now, granted, it's not the kind of system that I really enjoy running a lot anymore, only because I don't like buckets of dice. I don't have like doing, having to do a lot of addition. Yeah. Um, but, but it's there and it's in a pinch. If, you know, if that's what we want to do, then I can do, like I said, I can do it without a single book in front of me. Because so that's. What I'm hearing is what you're saying is is that in February when I get my uh, when I get my backers kit uh, for the Avatar: The Last Airbender TTRPG uh, that I can rope you in because it's a six sided base base game. <laughs> that sounds good to me. Now yeah. um, that's um, that's based on uh, who created that the, the Avatar one. That's Magpie. I can't remember who it's. it's I, a I can't remember the rules engine for that, but um, but yes, you can totally rope me into. I'm I'm down for anything. Well, I um, it's, it's one of the first. Uh, it's one of the only Kickstarters that I've ever successfully backed, and I, I went all in. I I, t I backed it at the top tier, so I'm getting all the things. <laughs> I'm so well, excited. I was gonna say I, I have backed a ton of stuff over since since uh, Kickstarter kickstarting and crowdfunding has been a thing. Um, I'm really looking forward to a. So, are you familiar with the world of darkness? Uh, the White Wolf games, vampire, werewolf. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, real quick, like when I was a senior in high school, so this was '93. My friend Rob came back from his summer vacay in OKC with uh, the very first edition of Vampire: The Masquerade. Like okay. it was brand new and we played it in our, uh, we had our senior hour and we volunteered in the high school library. And so we would play it because <laughs> no one came to the library at seven period. So, but yes, familiar. But, uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse was probably one of the first games that I played that wasn't D&D, but um, White Wolf did a whole separate track in World of Darkness that was uh, Aeon Trinity. And uh, in the early 2000s, they dropped a, two-fisted pulp version that fit into the timeline called adventure adventure with an exclamation point um and uh it's fantastic and they just recently so they're 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 relaunching what's called the trinity continuum um and uh adventures involved in it so that's a kickstarter that i'm really looking forward to they have they have completely given a facelift to what they call now the story path system uh, it's Onyx Path that now has the rights to all the World of Darkness and, and the Trinity books. Um, and there's that and and the science fiction stuff. They just, you know, I, I, I love D&D, don't get me wrong, but I, right. you know, uh, and, you know, there are plenty of people on Trek Twitter that talk about Star Trek adventures. And I'd love for, you know, I'd love to have a chance to at least play, just to play it once, just to see what it's like. Um, cool story, bro. Uh, I have all the content for that too. Okay. Yeah. So I am itching to get into it and put together a game at some point um, because uh, you know I'm in I'm in one regular game where it's just friends. We get together. We're finally able to get back together in person, and um, you know we just play that campaign, and then uh, which is Icewind Dale actually, uh, and then um, we're I'm in that. oh yeah. And I'm in a, um, uh, oh, geez, I'm in a, a YouTube campaign, a custom world where uh, we are in like episode 83, 
Uh, we're right. coming up on having played uh, regularly for almost a year, which is, I think, wow. some sort of record um, <laughs> for D and D. Uh, and but it's a that's a great campaign to play in, and it's you know it's a not a fully custom world like there are there's a fear and a, um, there's a, a fear mechanic and and that sort of thing a sanity mechanic uh, that we've added because it's got a lot of uh, horror influenced elements, um, but you know. Wanting to play um, different kinds of games with different mechanics is something that I'm interested in. And, um, you know, I do run uh, a regular game with a group from Twitter under the D&DS9 uh, moniker. Um, and we're currently playing uh, the Dragon Heist. And eventually I'm going to publish that on YouTube, too, uh, as soon as I get everything squared away. But the point being, at some point, I'm going to have to... Um, recruit you for that stuff okay we'll make Sounds something good happen man uh, you um one thing you may want to keep an eye on is um uh if you are playing in games with horror-esque elements um uh fate of cthulhu um mm -hmm. so the fate system, the fate system by evil hat um it's a it's a universal rules engine but uh they have um they did kind of write this this tailored product and they actually Instead of going with a sanity mechanic, they went with a corruption mechanic uh, in order to try and uh, get away from the whole, you know, people going crazy because of, of Cthulhu, Cthulhu S. Bar, uh, you know, doing away with sanity as a mechanic because of the... The more like a soul corruption type thing? Yes. Yes. Nice. Uh, nice. Uh, definitely. I, I will sing the praises of the fate system. The fate system is if, if I were to get on RPG that into an educational environment, fate would be what I'd want to do it with because of the fact that the mechanics, the, the mechanics influence the gameplay to the point that what you write on your character sheet is, is, is your currency is it, it, it defines your character, but it's also how you how you steer the story. And oh wow! You steer it to your benefit, and sometimes it also to your detriment because all of your character aspects are to are are you're encouraged to give to come up with opportunities not only to invoke them to your benefit, but also to have them compelled to put you in situations where you know if you are you know. If you're recovering out, if you have recovering alcoholic written on your on your sheet, and you know you're a, you're a private detective, and you have to go to a bar to follow up a clue, you know the GM might hold out a fate point and be like, "Hey, I got this tasty fate point right here," and you really feel like you want to have it. No, that's you know that sort of thing. So right, right. Well, I would I would wager uh, knowing knowing the DM. Uh, and his affinity for uh, the Cthulhu uh, uh, universe, uh, that he probably studied some of that, given given some of the things he's thrown at us. Right. <laughs> um, Anthony's, Anthony's pretty up to speed on that stuff. So, um, yeah, man. Well, uh, Craig, we could go on and on and on and on, but at some point we do have to, we do have to stop digressing and, and get back to the real world. Um, so is there anything that we've we've left out there unsaid that you want to squeeze in real quick? I think that we've I think we've covered a we've we've from from starting from okay, let's just talk about you know whatever we feel like. I, I think that we managed to 
managed to cover a, a, a pretty, yeah. We got it in there, man. Awesome. Nice. Well, uh, I want to say thanks to you for coming on and uh, having a visit. Oh, absolutely. And we're, we'll definitely do something again. Um, uh, I have uh, I want to do some panels and things like that at some point where we, we get a group of folks together and maybe we talk about uh, things like where D&D was to where it's come and how we've, uh, you know, grown with it and, and through it. You know, there's a few of us out there that, that love to play role playing games. Um, so, you know, stuff like that, just get us all roped in together. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, definitely have you uh, in mind for a lot of that. But dear listener, thanks to you all as well for uh, coming in one more weekend and having a visit with us. Um, and we hope to have you back again next week. Uh, if you want to support the show, please seek out the catcher of your choice and leave a review there. Uh, that is the best and easiest way to help. But if you're feeling incredibly generous, you can visit uh, patreon.com slash digresscast and uh, drop a dollar a month or three dollars a month, five or ten, uh, whatever you're feeling generous enough to do. Uh, three dollars and up will get you early access to the show, though. So uh, if that sounds like something you're interested in, just go check it out. And uh, otherwise, you can find me on Twitter uh, at CDRE Decker. Uh, that's the Commodore. Um, and you can follow this show at DigressCast. Uh, with that, I would like to say thanks again and uh, good night. Thank you. Have a good night. Yeah. Very good. Very